0: good morning Jacob's well all right I think we're still alive good morning all right kickball that was the key uh, key com- there we go I forgot about that so kickball is the key phrase um, for those of you who don't know my name is Manoj Thomas uh, one of the elders the one of the pastors here at Jacob's well um, I'm usually on the back end and I uh, I don't, don't get a chance to preach much, and uh, so I've never preached in the front of a, a large crowd like this in an open park, so I've got a little bit of butterflies in my stomach, um, but that's cool. That's cool. Um, happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers and grandfathers. Uh, I just want to wish you a happy Father's Day. As we begin our time this morning, um, one of the things that we've been trying to do, uh, you've probably seen exemplified a little bit, is, is sharing stories, uh, sharing stories of our faith, sharing stories of how we... Um, how we've come to know the Lord, um, and I want to share that real quickly. I've known some of you for a decade or more. I've known some of you for just a few years, and I've shown, and, and there's probably a number of you that I haven't met yet. So um, I want to share my story real quick. Um, and, and the rationale for that, as we're thinking about it as leaders, is um, we, we sort of live in a time right now where um, there is so much polarization in so many different areas of life, right? There's polarization, there's fracturing of, of relationships, relationships. Um, there's divisions, um, some caused by social media, some caused by media, some caused by uh, all kinds of hurt, um, and, and what that does is it pits us against one another. Uh, one of the things that stories do is that it breaks down some of those some of those barriers. Um, and as a church that exists to break down barriers, one of the things that I think helps in that manner is 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 sharing our stories, our stories of faith, our stories of how we've come to where we are. Um, so here's my story in five minutes or less here. Um, so my name is Manoj. I'm married to my wife, Bina. Uh, we've been married for 28 years. I've uh, got two kids, uh, a daughter, Priya, who's over at uh, Stony Brook Dental School, and uh, a son, Ajay, who is going to be a junior at, at Rutgers. Um, my life begins in India. I was born in India, um, uh, born in the southern part of India in Kerala State. Uh, lived in Calcutta, which is where my parents were. I moved to the U.S. in... Uh, in 1975. Um, my mom came to the U.S. in 1974, and if any of you uh, are familiar with U.S. history, which I was not, and certain things that, that, that I, I learned and, and had to relearn, um, in, in the 1960s, after the civil rights movement, immigration laws changed dramatically, and that allowed professionals to come into the U.S. And so my mom came to the U.S. in 1974 as a nurse in New York City, Uh, She, by herself, um, she she walked up and down the streets of New York, applying for jobs as a nurse, uh, wherever those hospitals were. Um, And then a year later, she she, uh, saved up enough money to bring myself, my dad, um, and my younger brother with us to the U.S. And so we started our life in the U.S. um, in 1975. I went to first grade in New York City public schools, lived in Astoria, Queens for three or four years, uh, then moved to New Jersey, uh, to the northern part of New Jersey in in Bergen County in Teaneck. And I've lived there, um, lived there for a good chunk of our lives. Um, All during my early years, um, I just remember one sort of feeling, and that was just trying to fit in, Um, trying to fit in because I look different. I acted different, I had different values that my parents cared about, um, which I thought were kind of crazy at the time. I ate different food. Um, I just wanted to fit in. Um, I remember in junior high school, um, we, we couldn't afford real sneakers. We used to call them pleather, right? Plastic leather sneakers is what, what we used to wear. And I remember the the day that I got my first pair of leather Pumas. I was so excited to have a pair of leather Pumas. They were white Pumas. At that time, uh, Adidas shell tops were the, uh, were the um, shoe in season, if you will. Um, I got my leather Pumas. Uh, I thought it was cool to wear a suit and wear uh, a set of Pumas uh, to, to an event. Um, I, I, I thought it was cool. Um, I, I like to think of it as, I was probably ahead of the times because now wearing a suit and sneakers is very um, very nouveau, very cool, uh, very trendy. But back then it was not. Um, I just wanted to fit in because I couldn't afford leather sneakers and it was the first one that I had. Now it's a hipster thing. Um, my parents uh, both worked. Uh, they both worked two different shifts uh, so that because there was no opportunity for child care or anything. So my, my dad worked in the morning, and then uh, my mom worked uh, a 3 to 11 shift as a nurse. Um, and they sacrificed a lot. Um, both of my parents were believers. I grew up in an Indian church, uh, which was a safe haven for us culturally. Uh, I accepted Jesus as my Savior early on in life, um, but it was much later in college that I... I sort of recognized the difference between Jesus as Savior and and Jesus as Lord and that um, I'd have to make those own decisions for myself. Um, And so that's when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and asked him to be part of my life. That's also when I, uh, although my wife and I didn't go to the same college together, we we met in those college years. Um, We were discipled by a a couple here in in the Rutgers area. In 1993, we got married. Uh, We had a a love marriage as opposed to an arranged marriage, um, which is the the common du jour of of that culture. Um, Both of us have siblings uh, who've gotten arranged marriages. We got a a love marriage and um, caused a lot of commotion in our community. Um, As I mentioned, we were discipled by a a couple here at the Rutgers area. Um, We went to a student missions conference in 1993, and that's where God really laid on our hearts to stay involved in the professional world and stay involved in ministry. Uh, we settled in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, I, at that time, was working for Exxon. I worked for Exxon, and then I went to work for Merrill Lynch for a while. I uh, spent 20 years at Microsoft, and uh, and in the midst of that, um, did a youth ministry um, with a church, the American church that we were going to. Um, in 2007, I, I, I met this guy, Reed Monaghan, um, who was up here at, at Rutgers um, thinking about planting a church. And we were like, what on earth? does planting a church mean? Um, got a chance of chatting with him. And uh, I remember uh, as I was talking, as we were talking about planting churches, um, I said, I'd love to be part of a church that represents what we see in heaven. In, in Revelation 7, uh, it says that there's uh, heaven is represented by uh, people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language group. And I said, I'd love to be part of a church like that. And uh, we started core group with the uh, 14 or so people in his living room. We got to mega house church uh, in our house with 93 people. And we were like, can't do this anymore. We've got to get into another facility. Um, And so as I look at my own journey of faith, um, I look back and see God's faithfulness and God's hand in it um, throughout, uh, through the ups and downs. Each of us has a unique story. and I'm amazed at how God has been faithful to us. Uh, I and Scott and Rich have the privilege as we get new members to read their stories of grace. And it is so refreshing and so amazing to see how God takes each one of us on our own journeys of faith. I encourage you as, as we, you meet in different community groups this summer, as you interact um, in various occasions, share your stories with one another. It helps to break down so many of the barriers, so many of the stereotypes that we see um, inculcated in our culture. Anyway, I could go on. That's probably a little more than five minutes, but uh, I want to turn our attention toward the the text that Amy just uh, finished reading a few minutes ago. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray. God, thank you for the fact that uh, we have a great breeze. Thank you for, even as I was praying this morning, Lord, thank you for the fact that uh, the wind reminds us of your spirit, Lord, that you move in different ways. And so I just pray that your Holy Spirit would have your way in and amongst us, Lord, and the things that that I might share here that that need to find a place in each one of our hearts, pray that it would find root, um, that it would find a place of nourishment, and that you would grow that truth. and the things that are not appropriate uh, or things that are not relevant for each of the individuals here, I pray that they would quickly forget. And so I just pray that that your Holy Spirit would, would have your way even as we look into your word this morning. Thank you that it is alive and um, that it transforms. And so we pray for your transformational power this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this section of, uh, of chapter 10 in Hebrews, uh, the author begins this transition. Um, he spent the last 10 chapters or so using a lot of legal language, uh, using a lot of argumentative language to explain um, in chapters 1 through 4 that God has spoken by His Son Jesus. In chapters 5 through through chapter 10, uh, verse 18, um, the argument that he makes is that Jesus is the greatest. He's the great high priest. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the prophets. That He's greater than the priests in the Old Testament. In chapter 10 now, as we transition here in in verse 19, toward the end of chapter 13, um, the author turns his attention to encouraging the readers to follow Jesus. This Jesus that is the Son of God, this Jesus that's greater than the prophets and the priests and the kings before. Over the last few weeks, Pastor Pastor Scott and and Jalen taught in detail about the job of the priests. How it was their job that had to be done uh, daily, continuously, day after day, They had to sacrifice animals on behalf of the people. Ephesians 2.18 says that through Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus opens the door and provides direct access to God in a way that the priestly system of the Old Testament never could. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man or woman comes to the Father except through me. The access that we have is directly to the presence of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. The access that you have is to God the Father, the creator of all of the universe. This is what we mean by the gospel. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died for all the stuff that separates you from a holy God and believe that he's been raised from the dead, you and I have access to the presence of God. Direct access, no mediator in between. Now we live in a world of access codes. I spent a lot of time in my career in tech. Four digit pins, cryptic passcodes to secure some of our most important information. We've got ID cards that get us into certain buildings and keep us out of other buildings. Most of our phones need fingerprints or facial recognition to gain access to the device. We all understand access. Sometimes though, you put in your password and you get a what? Access denied. Sometimes you get an access denied letter. As I was thinking about restricted access, I couldn't help but think about, in my own experience, um, Building Thirty Four doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, I spent twenty years at Microsoft, and and many of those years was lo- running a, a pretty large um, global sales team, uh, meeting with mo- two of our biggest customers, and every four to six weeks, six to eight weeks, I'd be out in Seattle, Washington to the headquarters taking some executive from one of these companies that, that, that I was working with to meet with the executives at Microsoft, and it was always in Building 33, our executive briefing center. And right next door to Building 33 is, is Building 34, you guessed it, and, and Building 34 is where at that time Bill Gates sat, it's, it's where Steve Ballmer, the previous CEO, and, and Satya Nadella, the current CEO sits, and all of their executive team. And I remember having to go into building 34 one time, no access, I had to be escorted in. Um, But I do remember seeing the private elevator, seeing the private entrance, um, seeing the set of extra security guards to the executive floors. Now imagine for a second, one of the kids of the CEO, a young girl walks through the private entrance, says hi to the security guards as she presses the elevator button. She exits the elevator, walks over to her dad's office. What's the difference between me and that little girl? Me, an employee that represents that corporation to another corporation. The difference was a relationship. The world of the Israelites screamed restricted access. It screamed access denied when it came to being in God's presence because of the severed relationship between God and man. First, you had to be of the tribe of Levi, which excluded most people. Then you had to be a priest in order to enter the inner courts. And once a year, only the high priest was allowed to the holiest place in the temple. And then there was a curtain separating even that high priest from floor to ceiling from the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelt. The author spends all of this time in chapters five through 10, explaining that we now have direct access to God the creator. That's the power of the word, therefore, as we begin this passage. Now, you're probably wondering, this guy just spent 10 minutes talking about one word. How long is he going to be here? Um, It speeds up now. (laughs) Because of this access that Jesus provides, we have two things going for us that the author outlines here. We can be confident and bold when we approach God. Verse 19 and 20 says, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. This curtain always stood between God and humankind because of sin. As Jesus' body was broken on the cross and his blood shed for all of humankind, the curtain of the temple was was ripped, was torn from top to bottom, showing that now access to God was no longer limited to a single person once a year, wasn't limited to a tribe, wasn't limited to a people, It was open to all of mankind we have access because of the one who's opened the door jesus himself the second part of verse 20 says we have a great high priest over god's house jalen enumerated on this last week during a sermon he said that jesus is seated at the right hand of god his sacrifice was once for all the priests had to perform a daily sacrifice jesus did it once the priests had to stand to perform their daily sacrifices jesus If I remember correctly, as Jalen was saying, he he sits at the right hand of God. Jesus offered himself once and for all and now sits at the right hand of God. With this privilege, with this access to God, we have a responsibility. I call it the Spider-Man principle. Um, I grew up reading comic books. Some of you probably watched the Spider-Man movies. Uh, I see some of you laughing. Um, It's what Peter's Uncle Ben tells young Peter. With great, great power comes... Great responsibility. The author of Hebrews says that because we can confidently approach God and because Jesus is our great high priest we have a responsibility to use this access. There are three let us commandments that we see in verses 22 to 25. First it says let us draw near to God in faith. Second let us hold on to hope and thirdly it says let us stir one another to love and good deeds. Meet together, encourage one another. In, in some translations, that actual, that third commandment of, of meeting together is actually listed as three different let us commandments. Two of them are personal. One of them has to do with, with us, the one another. The third is directly tied to our one another, our community. Let's take a look at those. So the first one is draw near to God in faith continuously. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, if you're a believer, you have a relationship with God through Jesus and you have access to draw near, but in order to draw near, you'll probably need to cultivate some some spiritual habits. Um, Habit formation uh, is one of these things that's kind of interesting on YouTube if you take a look at productivity tools. Um, There's quite a bit of buzz around bullet journaling and habit tracking. But there are some spiritual habits, reading and studying God's Word. Hebrews 4.12, uh, Scott preached on this back in March, says that the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We have to listen to God's Word. There's some, there's some real practical things you can do here. Um, some of you have physical Bibles. Some of you have digital Bibles. Um, I would recommend an app called YouVersion. It gives you a little piece of scripture each and every day and a little bit of a devotion, and it leads you into prayer. If you if you don't have a spiritual habit of drawing near to, near to God and, and understanding what the Bible says, take a look at that app. The other spiritual habit that we covered during our discipleship course in the spring was prayer. And we use this acronym, PRAY, PAUSE, REJOICE, ASK, YIELD. PAUSE. Reflect on the fact that you have access to the creator of the universe. Rejoice, take a moment to think about God and to thank him for all that you've got. I've always told my kids, you know, having an attitude of gratitude is a commandment in the Bible. In First Thessalonians it says, pray unceasingly, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. Ask, this is often the easy part. We've got our to-do lists for God. And lastly, yield, even Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Think about your own spiritual habits. Are you taking time to pause? Are you taking time to rejoice and give thanks? Are you taking time to ask, not just for yourself, but for others, others in your community, our nation, our world? Are you taking time then to yield? I don't know about you, but my focus can drift day by day. And it often depends on the busyness of the day. I want to emphasize here the, the importance of intentionality. We need to be intentional. And intentionality sometimes means that you need to put some work in to build good healthy habits. Um, I, as I mentioned, take a, uh, take a look at YouTube at some of the, the things on bullet journaling. I'm not a big journal person, but I love this concept of bullet journaling where you just w- write one bullet down about something that, that's inspired you or struck you or learn, that you learned from. Um, if you want to have healthy habits, Uh, Habit tracking is a great way I you know my my wife has diagnosed me as OCD and so I like to have lists (laughs) some of you you know abhor lists and that's cool Uh, do what works for you but I want to encourage you to be intentional about your spiritual habits and there's some practical things Uh, sometimes being in nature being in an environment that's different than the normal place um, is healthy It, it breeds a certain type of thinking uh, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, Scott, Rich, and I as the elders were, were away a week and a half ago now um, at, at a little house in the middle of Lambertville somewhere, or near Lambertville, um, Stockton, New Jersey, I think it was called, thank you, Scott. Um, and it was a little house in in the middle of this, this field, sort of like this, um, and we came back from a dinner, and as we looked up at the trees, um, we saw lightning bugs everywhere. I mean, literally everywhere. Um, and, and it looked like the stars were in in the trees. And then we looked up and the sky was actually clear and we saw the stars and our conversation drifted to the magnitude of God, the magnitude of the universe that we live in, how small we are, how insignificant we are. Then we had some cerebral conversations about multiverses and all that kind of stuff, but there was this incredible um, moment, I would say of, of, of acknowledgement that the heavens in the sky, the earth below, that God has created has its own beauty, and in that beauty, we were drawn to worship. I don't know what it's going to take for you to draw near to God, but I just want to leave you with that one word. Be intentional about it. The second command or, or encouragement that the author talks about is hold fast. Hold on to the hope. And he, says, he uses the word persistently in some translations because God is faithful. Hold on to the hope that we profess, not necessarily the hope that we possess. Let me say that again, hold on to the hope that we profess, sometimes not necessarily the hope that we possess. This is talking about professing what we believe about God and believing his promises to us in the midst of the circumstances of life. You know, all of us have probably realized that life comes in an intermingled reality of suffering and, you know, sort of in the valleys of life and great joys on mountaintop experiences. And in the midst of all of the highs and lows of life, we need to profess to ourselves, especially when we're in the low moments of life, that God is a God who is faithful to his promises. Our hope comes from Jesus and his death and resurrection. It's not in and of ourselves. It's not something that we innately possess. It's the hope that we believe and profess and proclaim to ourselves In in moments of of despair, it's something that sometimes we need others to profess into our lives to not give up hope because of who Jesus is. God has said there's this resounding theme throughout the scriptures again and again and again. God says, I will never leave you. Don't be afraid. It's one of the other themes but the other another theme is don't be afraid. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Do you know one of Jesus's names is Emmanuel? We sing about it in Christmas time. Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Not the God that is aloof, not the God who is distant, not the God that is removed in the midst of suffering, but the God that is with us. How do we do this? The author gives us a hint. Remember. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. Um, When I was in my 20s, uh, um, a spiritual father to me um, told me at that time, he said, write down He called them defining moments and divine intervention. And he said, write those things down. It doesn't have to be long sentences. Write them down. Um, One of the things I like to do a couple of times a year, usually on our anniversary, which we celebrated last week and and usually in the beginning of the year, at least twice a year, is take a look back at these little bullets that I made over the course of 20, 30 years. And you look back at God's faithfulness, and it gives you hope in the midst of whatever difficulties you're going through. So I encourage you to do that. Write down little things, maybe once or twice a year, maybe three or four times a year, maybe every day. I don't know what what works for you, but write down the defining moments of your life. Write down the things that have been areas of life where you've prayed for and God has answered. Because you know what, folks? We're ones who forget. It's the single biggest thing that God told the people of Israel, remember when I brought you out of the land of Egypt when I talk you out of slavery and made you free. Remember God's faithfulness and divine intervention. The third thing that the author talks about is stirring up one another. This word stir, spurring in some of the translations, it talks about encouraging, stimulating, provoking, motivating. You know, my heart and your heart is prone to wander. We need others to have access to and speak into our lives. There are many opportunities for us. Uh, Scott talked about justice and mercy. It's one of our core identities here at Jacob's Well. Come alongside those who are suffering, perhaps with, it's in your, with it's, uh, it's somebody that's within your community group, perhaps it's a neighbor, perhaps it's somebody on a soccer team, perhaps it's somebody in your dorm room or classroom. Um, pray for those who are suffering and get proximate Proximity is one of these things I'll touch on a little later. Proximity breeds a certain level of trust. When we get close enough to someone else, we get a chance to understand what, who they're about, right? Hopefully we share stories and, and we learn who they're about. Um, and we get proximate enough, enough to understand what their needs are. As we come out of this pandemic season, hopefully we come out of this pandemic season, we're just at the tip of the iceberg of many of the needs that are still yet to be satisfied and, and, and addressed. So don't, don't neglect looking out for one another in our community and in the communities that God's placed you. The fourth thing that the author talks about is don't neglect meeting together. The author highlights the importance of community. We can't be lone rangers, we need one another. One of our core identities here at Jacob's Well is that we want to live in multi-ethnic community Proximity creates community and trust. One of the biggest losses in COVID, when we were talking about this is one of the biggest losses is we've lost proximity to one another um, by necessity, right? For health reasons, by necessity, we've lost proximity. To now build that back up will take intentionality. It'll take effort to build back what was lost in a year and a half. So some practical things here as you go through the journey, especially over these coming months, into re-entering whatever the new normal looks like. Take time to foster new rhythms. Maybe there's some new rhythms you need to establish around who sits at your dinner table. Maybe you need to break some boundaries there that you've established or you've biases that you've got. Maybe you need to invite some others in to create proximate relationships where you can hear other people's stories and you can hear their hurts and their desires and their wants. Stories humanize us against the stereotypes and help to build trust. So put other people on your family calendar, on your dinner table. And I'll say this, you know, the the topics du jour today around ethnicity, race, gender, identity, politics, they're so complicated, they're so nuanced. We need to take time to listen to one another in proximity, apply the gospel to it. What is our gospel-centered approach, which is one of our core identities, and what does that enable us to do to thoughtfully engage the realities of our culture? It won't happen by accident, folks. It won't happen by accident. It's gonna take intentionality. Okay, and the last thing that uh, the author talks about was to, is to spur and encourage one another in love for one another. This word, one another. I I once did a a study just through the Bible of these one another terms. And the resounding theme in these one another terms, um, a lot of it is in the New Testament, but it relates to the fact that we're a body. We're, we're, We're one body, many parts. We need one another. There are no Lone Rangers. All of us need in the church, and all of us are needed in the kingdom. When one part suffers, we should come alongside. And encourage and help others encourage another one another to be gospel centered in our decision making when you're getting ready to make life transitions this is one of the the things that we've seen over and over uh, new jersey is a, a transient environment and we've seen over the 12 13 years here the transiency of new jersey and so many times we've seen people make decisions without engaging others in that conversation in that decision making process so i encourage you as you think about decisions that you need to make um, life-changing decisions, career decisions, geography decisions, um, decisions about your children, whatever it may be. Uh, Proverbs 19:20 and Proverbs 15, 22 says, seek counsel from others. And if those others are people within your community, within the family of God, that counsel comes with context as well. Encourage one another to be thoughtfully engaged. I already mentioned this, um, use of their words. Um, whether it's in conversation, in social media, use of their words has impact. And so as we think about thoughtfully engaging, how can we engage one another? How can we encourage one another through our words? Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's a quick, you know, a written card or a written uh, note. Uh, Maybe it's an email, Uh, whatever works. We need God's word, his spirit and one another to discern what our posture should be in many of these situations of life. And lastly, do this in love. That's, that's the author's encouragement. Do this in love. Our words have power. They can lift up. James 3, verses 3 to 6 talk about the power of the tongue. They can, they can be used to lift somebody up, and at the same time, they can be used to cut somebody off and discourage somebody uh, for a long, long time. Uh, and for fathers, uh, Ephesians 6 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. One of the things I, I, I've said to, to many dads here, and I continue to say, is uh, be willing to apologize. It's one of the things, I, you know, I've, I've got certain proclivities. Um, I've got certain tendencies. Um, the things that make me really good professionally don't make me really good in certain other areas. And I've had to say sorry to my kids many times. Uh, and I encourage you, um, because many of us as, as men, we don't, sometimes we don't see our blind spots. Be willing to apologize um, to your children so that they're not provoked to anger. And sometimes that anger can be, some, can be something that, that's not expressed. Uh, in, in our culture, um, you know, th- things were just put under the table. We never talked about issues. Um, so I encourage you as fathers, if there's things that are, that are, that are um, difficult, you know, when, when you have, all of us get angry, right? Don't provoke your children to anger. Be willing to apologize to them. And the author closes with all the more as you see the day approaching. And, and there's sort of two, as I was looking at different commentaries, two sort of um, interpretations of this, right? One is that, hey, we, we have to do this, this encouraging activity, this meeting together activity, um, loving one another. Um, these things are things that we're supposed to do until Jesus returns. Uh, Matthew twenty six thirty six says that no one knows the hour or the day when Jesus is coming. So we don't know. But god has entrusted this mission to us he doesn't have a plan b he's entrusted this mission to us to go into the world to proclaim the gospel to teach to make disciples of all nations and yet in another sense there is a finality to each one of our lives there is a day coming when you will be no longer alive Um, it's the stark reality Um, and many of us have lost loved ones during this pandemic season there is a finality to each one of our lives and none of us knows when that day will come. We're called to do these things, to love, to encourage, to build up, to stir, to motivate one another until our days are over. Drawing near to God bolsters our faith. Holding fast to God's promises and faithfulness bolsters our hope. And out of faith and hope, we're called to encourage one another in love and good deeds, in our homes, in our communities, in our cities, and wherever God has given you a sphere of influence. We're called to take our faith and the hope that we have and encourage one another. We do this not by our own strength, but by the power and the access that we've been granted because of what Jesus has done. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you are a God who does not leave us as orphans, uh, that you are our heavenly father even as we think of father's day and and celebrate that and in the midst of the realities of life the great joys and the great sufferings and um, moments of despair in life we thank you that you are our heavenly father we thank you that you call us to love one another um, so i pray that you would help us to draw near to you uh, whatever that means in each one of our lives pray that you would do your work in our lives lord draw us to you And I pray that we would respond and and draw near to you as well. Thank you that you are our heavenly Father, that in the midst of the ups and downs and the sideways of life, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, help us to hold on to that hope. And I pray that you would use us to encourage one another, to embolden one another, to stir up, um, to motivate. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you this morning. Go before us into this new week. In Jesus' name.